Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Women's Running Podcast. Lisa Jackson is a long-standing contributor to women's running and knows it way better than me. The other thing about Lisa is that she is the most humble marathon runner I've ever met. She's run 108 of them so far. And she has the most useful philosophy for runners, no matter what sort of running you do. She is an ardent proponent of walk running and has written about this for us on more than one occasion because I wanted her to. When I first spoke to her last year, she told me about how at the start of her second marathon, she decided to walk run it, and as a result, felt brilliant afterwards and got a PB by a considerable margin. She loves the back of the pack and is proud to explain that of those 108 marathons, she's come last in 25 of them. Her running philosophy is neatly and entertainingly explained in her book Your Pace or Mine, just recently released as an audiobook out now on Audible. I spoke to Lisa back in January 2020 about her double passions for running and travel and how she's been able to combine the two despite a much slower start to running than her parents had initially hoped. She chatted to me in her living room about how she developed her passion, her new goals for the next year and how running a marathon makes you feel like a lion tamer. This episode of the Women's Running Podcast is sponsored by the lovely people at Lucy Lockett Loves, who have a treat for you. We have always loved Lucy Lockett Loves because it's not only the brains behind gorgeous activewear, it's also a supportive community for women runners. Just check out their Facebook group. The apparel is fantastic value and lovely. Leggings and crop tops in beautiful, vibrant colours and patterns that will nudge you out for a run whether you want to or not. All of it is created in thick, squat-proof fabric and the leggings have a lovely, deep, flattering waistband and proper pockets. We love a proper pocket. They also do a range of loungewear that are deliciously comfy and perfect for weekends and home working. I've just been sent a bundle of beautiful things from them and they're packaged so gorgeously too. A real treat to open, so they make a great gift for running buddies. But of course, you can just keep them for yourself, which is what I'm doing. And the treat? Lucy Lockett Loves is offering you an exclusive 10% off everything on the site. Just go to lockettloves.com and enter the code WRPOD10 at the checkout. That's WRPOD10. Go now. Do it. Put some fun in your run. Because I can talk, honestly, especially like someone like you that I know, I, I can honestly, like, you'll have to stop me. So please, you know, don't, um, no, 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 no. I won't find it rude. And I, should, I, should, I should probably say now that we have spoken before, we have had a conversation before, which was at Runfest Run last summer. That's right. Um, in front of an adoring public of about <laughs> eight people. But, um, oh, but no, the competition was Paula Radcliffe. To be fair, to be fair, yeah. So I think I would have chosen to go and listen to her as well. <laughs> yeah, well, what though? I would have chosen to listen to you. Um, it's kind of, it's sort of relatable running, isn't it? Rather than Paula Radcliffe 
Anyway, she, yeah, she's she's not as interesting as us, I don't think. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> as those eight people will attest. <laughs> um, so I guess, like, there is no theme for today's chat. I uh-huh. just want to ask about you. I want to ask about how you got into running in the first place. Can you tell us, like, your history with running, your relationship with running, how you got into it, what you like to do? what you love about it, what you don't like about it? Well, I think um, the reason I'm a runner is because my parents were runners and are runners. My dad still runs. He's 80 years old Um, and he runs every day. Uh, And he's recently had a heart problem and they couldn't believe it because they just said, you know, this would have killed anyone else the way you just go out the front door. He doesn't warm up and he just runs up a steep hill because our house is at the bottom of a hill in Pretoria. Um, And they just couldn't believe that he had got through this running up a hill with the problem that he had um, without dying on the road. (laughs) And so my father was a cross-country champion at university. And my mother was spectacularly untalented at running. But she started jogging in the 70s in a little poochie print miniskirt. I used to be so embarrassed because I think, I could see your knickers as she ran up that hill. (laughs) Um, And she started running every day. Not far. I think only about two kilometers um, and then my dad got it into his head that his kids should run as well because he had got so much stress relief from it. It really kept him sane. He he just loved it. Um, and so we were asked, you know, every day, have you gone for your run? And of course, I really didn't want to run because I was a really, well, I am still a very slow runner. Um, and it's always hard for me. So I found out this wonderful little ruse or developed a ruse, which would, would be <clears throat> getting dressed in my running clothes. Uh, we had a long driveway. Um, I'd walk down the driveway with a book tucked up under my t-shirt I then go and sit between two parked cars read my book for 15 minutes then tuck the book away charge up the driveway and then come panting and sweating into the lounge and tell my dad I'm going for my run so I did that quite a lot um but I think they they sowed the seed for running and they also took me to a 5k race on a formula one racetrack called Kyle Army and I've watched that a lot on television and to be able to actually run in such a spectacular unusual place with a checkered flag waving you across the finish line, and I've still got the tracksuit badge that I was awarded then, that's in my running album, um, it was a wonderful feeling. And I think that kind of made me realise that there was something about running that could actually be fun or enjoyable, and it takes you to unusual places, mm. um, which you wouldn't normally be able to run on or maybe not have seen before. Um, so, yeah, I went through you know my whole life after that for the next... Um, 20 years not running at all because um, <clears throat> I just found it so difficult. And also, I think, like many people, and we've talked about this before, um, you know, the way that when you only focus on competition, um, it just excludes so many people because if you're <coughs> going to come last or you're going to be slow uh, and people are laughing at you for that reason, um, it, it really can put you off. And I mean, like most people, I don't like doing things I'm not good at. And doing something that I was spectacularly bad at um, made me feel really, really embarrassed and humiliated. Um, I also had some really horrible experiences at school with sport, um, just in terms of people bullying me. And, um, you know, I'd be playing netball and trying, I'd be right under the goal. I mean, if they gave me the ball, I would have got it through. And they wouldn't throw the ball to me because Mm. I wasn't in the right group. And I just remember thinking, I'm not exposing myself to this kind of, you know, embarrassment. And so sport and anything to do with activity just had a really negative connotation for me. Um, And then, like many people, you know, I was turning 30, and I just thought, you know what, I'm really on a path, a very unhealthy path, and I'm not going to be as fit and as fantastic as my parents, because they, we'd go on holiday with them, and they'd come back all breathless before breakfast, and they'd already run like a half marathon before breakfast. Um, I remember one time, you know, my mum, she, she ended a lot of running and a lot of walking, and she went to a doctor telling him she was really tired, and he couldn't think of a reason, and when she got home, my sister said, mum, did it ever cross your mind that you doing 21k a day of exercise might be the reason you're so tired. And my mother hadn't even thought to mention it because it was such a normal part of her life. So my parents set me a really good example. And I just thought, you know, I really need to do something. So I think running was the thing I liked, I disliked least because I had tried things like aerobics. And again, I'm not very coordinated. So, you know, standing at the back, just reading the teacher coming over to explain how to do it in front of the whole class. It was always that horrible, hot face humiliation idea. Um, And then running... Um, you know, I had tried it before and I was invited by a colleague um, on the magazine I worked on um, to go to Race for Life. And it was actually one of the first Race for Life. So I knew nothing about it. It was in Battersea Park. And in those days, it was really a small event. 
But I went along and um, I just saw everyone dressed in pink, which is one of my favorite colors. So that was amazing. I love that from, from the word go. That was really appealed to me. But also um, the fact that people were encouraging each other. There was actually, I don't know where the front runners were. I don't think I even saw them. It was nothing about racing people. It was all about cheering each other, talking to each other, um, having a laugh. And that sense of camaraderie, and I just remember these, this group of dads under a tree, like holding all the baggage with jiggling babies on their hips with glasses of champagne in the other hand. And I just thought, this is just so nice. There's something so fun about this. Um, and that sort of set me off on my, on my journey. So I hired a personal trainer, and he actually introduced me to walk running because he did stop me out like that. And I just yeah. kept thinking, you know, you are being a bit ridiculous. Like, I do know how to run. Like, I, do, I can run for more than, you know, one minute or two minutes. You know, I, I have a history of running yeah. <laughs> when I was 10. Um, but that didn't last too long because it was expensive. Um, but <clears throat> in the meantime, uh, my aunt had got a place in the Great North Run. And when she said it was a half marathon, I, I was so blown away by that because it was just like half marathon, you know, it was just yeah. such a magical word. Even if it was half in front of it, it was magical. So she told me, why don't you try and get a place as well? And I was just, I thought that was like the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. Um, but then I thought, you know, why not? And it was so late in the day when I applied, I thought I'm never going to get in. At least I can say to her, I tried to get in, you know, maybe I'll do it next year or something. And of course, blow me down. It was right in that room there. You can see the letter came and I got in. And I remember actually jumping in there. I literally jumped for joy. <laughs> and then before my feet hit the ground or the floor, um, I suddenly thought, oh, blimey. Like I actually have to run 21 kilometers now. And that is literally, I'd only ever run as far as 10K. But that wasn't in a race. Um, and I just thought, I, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And in those days, <clears throat> you know, uh, there were no, uh, well, there wasn't any internet. <laughs> So there were no online training programs. I had no clue. You can go on Amazon and buy a book about it. You, you, you just have to find out from people. And um, the deputy editor, um, an amazing woman called um, Sally Brown, I always call her my guru, um, she was a very keen runner. And she said to me, you know, read Runner's World. And you'll find training plans in there. And I was like, wow, you know, what advice? Is there really a magazine all about running? I, I couldn't believe it. I, I really was surprised. Even yeah. though I worked in magazines, I didn't know there was a running yeah. magazine. So um, I got their training program, and I really was quite good about sticking to it. I haven't, I don't think I've ever been as good sticking to a training program since then. Um, and, of course, I went up to the Great North Run, and I dressed as the Angel of the North. So I was covered in <laughs> glitter. Like, I was literally imprinted glitter all over my face, my legs, my arms. I had this little furry halo and, of course, wings. I love wings. Um, and my aunt was a bit embarrassed, I think, by my outfit. Um, and so we started running along, and we're going over the time bridge, and my halo blows off. No. And, of course, um, you know, I just thought, that's fine. I've still got the wings. Like, I can still make a point that I'm the Angel of the North. And my aunt, no way was she letting that go. So she goes scrabbling for my halo in among the crowd. So she nearly had about 10 people fall over her trying to find my halo. I was so, well, then I was in Paris. Anyway, we got it back. And um, we struggled along. And we were such um, newbies and so um, inexperienced that we were just running in vests. And it was freezing. Oh. And um, oh, it was so unpleasant. I had to run with my hands under my armpits in the end. I was just so cold. My hands were just killing me. And I remember that um, we didn't take any race snacks, which was, you know, it's a huge mistake. And I didn't know anything about race nutrition. And this woman came out and she said, can I offer you a snack? And we were so grateful until we found that they were ice lollies. But oh, we had to eat no. them because we were both so low on sugar. I was really wobbly by then. So we ate these ice lollies, got even colder, got to the finish. Couldn't believe we'd done it. And of course, my cousin had struggled to get to the finish with all our luggage. And I'll never forget Marie Curie. I still thank them to this day. They, we'd met a woman on the bus up from Marie Curie and we saw her at their tent and she said, you two are not letting you stand out in the cold because my aunt looked like a little monkey. Her whole <laughs> face around her mouth had gone blue. Oh no. And yeah, she couldn't walk in a straight line. Like she was hypothermic and so was I. We were like, I always say like two tipsy old ladies like drinking too much sherry. Like we stumbled to this tent and this lady said, come on in, I'll keep you warm while you wait for your son to bring your clothes. So she gave us a hot drink and gave us a packet of crisps and oh, it was just the most wonderful feeling. And then we caught the bus back to the start and we just sat on that bus for hours and hours and hours. And the whole time, this dawning realization, we covered this distance on our feet, our own feet. Honestly, we were just sitting there. We, could, we were just pinching ourselves. We were so happy. I just never felt, well, except for doing a marathon, of course, my first mm -hmm. marathon. But I never felt a sense of, you know, mastery over myself, achievement, um, pride, and happiness to share with my aunt, which was, you know, absolutely incredible as well.
Um, so that was the start of my running journey. And then uh, my aunt had been trying to get into the London Marathon for, I think, six or eight times. She never got in. And um, I said, okay, <clears throat> at this point, um, Sally Brown, again, this wonderful guru, said to me, I'm injured. I can't do London. Do you want to take my place? No. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, So I just, what year was that? Um, 1999. Wow. So I started running in 98, so 99. Yeah. So it was actually less than a year after I'd started because it started in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so my aunt got a charity place and I helped her fundraise and in those days you put up a little notice on the notice board at work and people sponsored you 50 pounds just like that because they didn't know anyone else who's running a marathon you know yeah. it's so unusual for people to run marathons so we raised the money very quickly we went way over our target um, and it was for Help the Aged which was a charity very close to my heart so I was really pleased about that um, and then we did London but I was injured so I had to leave my aunt at halfway um, and I then um, I walked loads of it, absolutely loads of it. It was so painful. And it was lonely not being with my aunt. Yeah. Um, but when I crossed the finish line, it took me six hours and 55 minutes. I mean, the feeling, again, like I just get goosebumps every single time I think about it. I just couldn't believe I'd done it. It just was the most unlikely thing. It was like becoming an astronaut or becoming a lion tamer or something like that. It was just so amazing. Now, you, you've run a lot of marathons now. I have. How I many have you run? I've run 108 marathons and 108 two ultras. 108 and two ultras. But would you say the London Marathon was the most special because it was your first or is it... Um, oh, you can never, ever... You know, when you go further than you've ever run before, because I didn't yeah. do like massive mileage in my training. I don't think I ever went past about 25 kilometers or something. So I know getting to 30 kilometers in the race was a huge moment. Right. I really thought like an angel was going to come out and blow a trumpet to say, <laughs> and I said, you have never run further in your life or gone further in your life before. It was a really significant moment for me. But I have to say, I think my most significant race is, is the Comets Ultramarathon because... Right. Um, to do something that's two marathons and a 5K all together in one day in under 12 hours was something that I hardly dared to dream. Where was that? Um, that's in South Africa. Mm. So it's between two cities, Durban and Pietermaritzburg. Um, and it's a legendary race in South Africa. It's televised live the whole day. I grew up watching it. Um, and you know when you... Had your parents done it? No, no. My father actually trained for it very, very hard. He lost so much weight. It was terrible. He, he actually became quite gaunt training for it. And then I think he got ill, and he never did it. So when I did it, they'd mistakenly sent him a medal, because they ran out of medals one year, and they sent him a medal thinking he'd finished, and he actually hadn't. Yeah. And when I did my first one, he gave me his medal. Oh. So I, I have two medals from that race. Um, but it was so significant doing it in my home country, um, to set myself that challenge and actually do it. And I did mm. it in honor of my late mum, who would have absolutely gone crazy for me doing it. I mean, honestly, I think she would have been, she would have been on a motorbike somewhere going off road to be able to cheer me every 10 <laughs> kilometers. I mean, she would have just, she would have been my best cheerleader ever. So I did it in her honor. And I think that's something that I would always recommend to people, like do things that are really difficult in honor of someone. It has to have some other meaning. It can't mm. just be covering the distance. That I don't think that's enough. Well, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't for me. Um, so to do it in honor of my mother, and I had this huge poster that I made saying, you know, in honor of Leonie Jackson, you know, marathon runner, she was a marathon runner, inspiration, Christian, mother, you know, always an inspiration. It, it was just a moment that I'll never forget. And smelling that grass that I'd imagined in my dreams and in my self-hypnosis, like crossing that finish line with a friend I met along the way, who I'm still friends with today. Yeah. Um, that's um, 10 years ago now, um, was, you know, un- unforgettable. And it really was me extending myself to a limit I never ever thought I could um, and that's what I always say to people if there's anything you dream of doing have a go you know I, I will say though if I'd failed at comrades that first time because I've done it three times but the third time I, I didn't finish it I did 78 kilometers but I fell after one kilometer so I nearly I honestly almost tore my arm off it was terrible I was Ooh. bleeding all over the place um, and so that one ended in no medal no time but I was very proud of myself because I ran for the full 12 hours and they pulled me off the course and that's what I ended up thinking, you know, I really did succeed because I honestly, I could only run with one arm and I'm really proud that I, I kept going because many people, you know, didn't. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a, a wonderful race. And if anyone's thinking of doing it, definitely have a go. And you do have to qualify even more quickly now than I had to in my day. Like it was five hours then mm. for um, if you wanted to do it. And now it's four hours um, 50. Um, but I couldn't believe, I mean, I took, I, I'm, I'm very bad with numbers, but I think I took 
45 minutes off my PB to qualify. Wow. Um, and it was actually almost an hour and a half faster than I'd normally ran an average marathon. So, you yeah. know, it can be done. If you want to do something and there is some kind of hurdle in the way, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. But what I also taught, learned was I don't like running fast. To me, it's a stress. It takes all the joy out of running. I want to talk. I don't want to run fast and just focus. Yeah, I was going to talk about this. Mm. This is absolutely you more than any other person. And um, I mean, I've been working on the magazine now for a year, but you've been working on women's running for how long? Like 12 years? I mean, um, Well, since the second issue. Yeah. So I don't know if that's 10 years or nine so years. That, yeah. yeah, for a very long time. <laughs> so you know the magazine way better than I do. But um, I've spoken to a lot of runners in the past year, and you more than anyone else that I've spoken to have a very specific philosophy about running, which I think is absolutely incredible. And I have passed it on to every newbie runner, especially newbie runners, who are, or, or, or people that have signed up for a race for the first time, um, who are concerned about getting that goal, doing that race, and are concerned about time on their feet. And I pass on your advice direct to them I think that um that your philosophy just is influencing runners so much at the moment which I think is absolutely brilliant can you talk about slow running oh! well it was so funny once that you mentioned that we were slow running because actually one magazine I wrote for actually asked me to give technique tips for how to go slowly and I was just thinking I'm sorry <laughs> honestly it just, just happens slower, yeah, yeah. it just happens if you do yeah. just Kind of slow down to barely faster than a walk, you're slow running. Um, well, the thing is that I just feel that life is so full of um, challenges all the time, you know. And, and if you're someone like me, like I like to do my best at what, what I do. Um, and, and uh, you know, endlessly striving for um, achievement in, in, in things. I love setting myself challenges. Um, but I just want running to be something completely different. I don't want to have any pressure. Um, I just want to go out there and enjoy myself. And the reason that I think I've stayed a runner all this time is because it gives you the opportunity to meet other people and new people you would never meet in everyday life. Um, so I've made so many friends. I mean, at the moment, I'm just in discussion with my husband about going to see my running friend, Renee, who ran around the whole of Iceland, north to south of Iceland, east to west of Iceland, after being in a car accident where he was told that he would never, ever walk again, let alone run. Now, that's the kind of people you meet in races. And, I mean, he is a really good runner, obviously, and I am not a fast runner. But somehow you get to know people like that. And they inspire you and they make you laugh. And, we're, you know, we go and stay with him in Prague and he comes here. And he, was, he came out specially for my 100th marathon. And this connection of people is just so valuable. And, you know, they have shown that um, there's many, many different theories on happiness, but connection with other people is absolutely, no one will dispute that that is absolutely essential to human beings' happiness. Um, and so running makes me happy in that way. Um, and slow running is the best way to meet people because you have, you know, they are also going to be out there for a very long time. Um, I mean, I can... I can't talk uh, at all if I'm running fast, but at a slow pace, you can talk all the time, like nonstop, the whole way. Um, and so, um, I mean, the pressure of getting faster, I found it really difficult. And my worst marathon actually was the London Marathon, where I did my PB of 4 hours 38, because I put on headphones, I couldn't hear the cheering, and I ran without speaking to another person the entire time. And in the end, I just thought, I might as well have done this race on a treadmill because mm. for the experience that I had, um, there was no experience. There was just a PB at the end of it. And obviously, I'm proud of that PB because, you know, I worked hard to do it. But I honestly wouldn't want to do that again. Yeah. I, I just wouldn't. And I think it was a real wasted opportunity, especially in London, because London, you get people from all over the world coming there. You can show off your city to them. You can tell them little stories to get them round. They tell you amazing stories themselves. Um, so that is my philosophy is I go out there to meet people. And obviously, um, just so everyone knows, I don't go and talk to people. I never, ever approach people to talk to. Never. <laughs> uh, no, because I, I really am aware that some people don't like that and yeah. they are wanting to focus. And I totally respect that. I respect everyone's style of running. I honestly do. Um, but, um, because I wear funny hats or funny costumes, people always come and talk to me and they come and ask me about where I got my costume or why I'm wearing that particular one or, you know, what where did I get it from because they want wine etc etc 
And then if they want to continue talking to me, they do. And if they want to run off, and obviously, I mean, anyone can run away from me. Anyone. So that's what I think. I just think, well, it's your own fault. You started talking <laughs> to me. And if you want to get away from me, just run a little bit faster. And I also remember you saying that it was almost a happy accident, the, the run-walk philosophy, at least. Mm. Um, that you'd been injured, I think, yes. ahead of one of your marathons. And you were told by your physio or someone to, to, to take on the kind of 10-minute run, one-minute walk thing. Yeah, that actually happened in my third marathon because uh. um, with my second marathon, which was in Edinburgh, I ran the whole way. Um, and I, I did it, gee, I think an hour and a half faster than my first one. It was about 5.36, I think. Mm. My husband couldn't believe it. Um, but the pain I was in during the marathon and also afterwards, I couldn't walk properly for three weeks afterwards. I could still feel the physical damage from that run. And I just thought, you know what? I want to have this amazing experience of crossing the finish line again many times I mean at that time I was aiming for five marathons mm. and if I carry on and injure my body to this degree um I will be in a wheelchair by the time I'm 40 I really feared that um and then my third marathon was Paris but I was injured again I am very prone to injury in fact I'm right injured right now I managed to mm. tear my calf muscle in my non-torn calf muscle leg while walking down the pavement in Tromso so this you know last weekend um, so yeah, I'm always injured. And, um, in my third marathon, my husband just looked at me, I was lying in bed in a hotel room in Paris and he said, you've got your stress face on. And I went, yeah, I've got my stress face on because I actually don't think I'm going to be able to finish tomorrow. And I was there again with my aunt. I didn't want to let it down. Um, I was really upset about the whole thing. And then I read the race uh, brochure for Paris. Mm-hmm. And in that one, it was actually a winner of the, a former winner of the race, I think. Um, he said, if you have any doubt of finishing a marathon, try walk running right from the beginning. And of course, I had done a little bit of walk running with my personal trainer, so I knew how it worked. And I just thought, well, this is my only option. I'm going to have to try this. Um, so again, my aunt wasn't that keen on the idea of suddenly, you know, you, you're feeling fine, you're feeling yeah. great, and then you get to 17 minutes, because I decided to do, I think, 17 minutes uh, running and three minutes walking. You get to 17 minutes, and all of a sudden you're walking, and everyone else is going past you. This freaked my aunt out completely. <laughs> she said, no, I can't run like this. I'm sorry. I've got to go. So I said, no, fine. Um, please, you know, good luck. Uh, I just can't do anything else because my leg is so sore. Anyway, I got to about 30K, and I bumped into my aunt again. And she was with this woman who'd run about 50 marathons. They were great friends by this time. And um, I said to my aunt, well, here I am. Let's go. Like, I, you know, I'm great. I'm hard to trot again. And she went, I can't run anymore at all. I can't no. run another step. I have to walk now. And she said, why don't you borrow my friend? My friend's done 50 marathons. She'll get you to the finish. <laughs> and I said, I think that's a bit mean to steal your friend. And the lady said, no, come on. I want to take you to the finish. This woman made me sprint and by that point honestly my injury was forgotten I was so fresh I ran I think probably if you timed it I can't guarantee this but my fastest 12k ever um just ran because this woman was so interesting I just wanted to keep up with her to chat with her and she always ran two steps ahead of me so it was kind of like you know I really had to push myself to keep up with her and then the miracle of that was obviously um I did a 10 minutes faster than Edinburgh when I'd run all the way I wasn't in pain once during the whole thing except for my niggle and um, I recovered after three days instead of three weeks. And I just thought, this is a miracle. This is amazing. And in those days, you know, the world wasn't as connected as it is now. So I don't know anything about Jeff Galloway in America doing his run-walk-run method. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spoke to one of my friends who wasn't even a runner and said, we should write a book together about this because I just think this is incredible. This is just, like, so exciting. And she wasn't a runner, but she was a very good uh, writer and editor. Um, and then actually... Obviously, the idea didn't go anywhere. And then a colleague of mine at work said, why don't we write a book together? And I said to her, well, funny that you say that, because I've actually got an idea for a book. Um, and she went, wow, that sounds amazing. Now, she wasn't a walk runner. She was a very fast runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wrote the book together, and we just wanted it to and be... And this is your pace of mine? No, no, no. This was my first running book, uh, um, Running Made Easy. Uh. And um, Running Made Easy, we did it in a magazine type of format, it had beautiful, colourful illustrations. It was inspiring, fun. Lots of personal stories from people we'd met. Um, people who, you know, were let out of prison to run a marathon, for example. Women who overcame agoraphobia by running in fairy wings around a neighbourhood. Of course, she was my favourite one. <laughs> um, and blow me down, this book became the best-selling running book um, in the UK. It got into The Economist for being the 13th best-selling sports book wow. in the UK. In the world. I think it was actually in the world rather than just the UK. Um, so we went on to sell over 110,000 copies. And, I mean, the most satisfying thing was we put our email addresses in the back of the book and people just kept writing us, going, oh. you have changed my life. This is amazing. And then they said, we got so enthusiastic, we ran every single day, and now I'm injured. What do I do now? And it's like, like oh, no. 
listen to the book. The book says they're rest days because the joke was when I saw my first running plan, uh, day one was rest day. And I said, wow, this is a plan for me because I'm very good at resting. <laughs> that was my half marathon plan. So I told them, you know, you've got to do your rest days. They're as important as the training days. Um, and it just was um, just enormously gratifying to have made a difference to people, honestly. Um, and people still today tell me, your book got me, got me running. Um, so, yeah, my second book, um, Your Pace or Mine, um, was not a how-to book because, you know, some publishers turned down my proposal. They said, this doesn't sound like a how-to book to me. And it was like, well, it isn't a how-to book. I've written that one. This is a why-to book. Why um, do you want to run? What is it about running that is so satisfying and life-affirming? Because I think it is honestly the most life-affirming thing, you know, that I've ever done. Yeah. Um, so your pace of mine is only, it's my story, but obviously my story is actually, compared to some of the people I know, it's a very, very mundane story, really. Um, but it's got the extraordinary people I've met along the way. I mean, yeah. an 80-year-old marathon runner, you know, who... I ran one marathon with him, and when I ran Beachy Head, he beat me. Okay. You know, that kind of story, or someone who ran nonstop for 250 miles, um, people who are cancer thrivers, um, and that's what I wanted to showcase. I wanted to showcase that every runner has a story. Mm. Um, it's not about bigging me up, um, although I hope my story will encourage other people to follow their running dreams, but it's about the extraordinary experiences through other people that you can have um, if you take up running. And you're, I mean, so 108 marathons you've done, and that's within the last, what, 22 years? Would that be right, if you started in 98? It's 21 years. 21 yeah, years. Yeah, well, yeah, I only did my first <coughs> in 99, so last year was my 20th running anniversary. So why, why do you do so many? What is it oh. about racing that's so attractive? <laughs> well, it is meeting the people, you know, because I would never just go and do marathons, like, on my own, like, just put my headphones in and go somewhere. Mm. Um, but what happened was I was doing um, my 17th marathon, and it was in Brighton, and I started to see people wearing the 100 Marathon Club T-shirt, which is blue with yellow arms and, you know, 100 Marathon Club on it. So baby percolated into my consciousness and one of the 100 Marathon Club members passed me and um, he, I, I said to him, oh, I really want one of those t-shirts. And he said to me, oh, you can have one. And I said, yeah, I heard you have to do a little bit of running in order to earn one. Yeah. And he said, well, how many have you done so far? And I said, well, I've done 16. I think this is my 17th. And, and he said, oh, we've all been there once. And it was just this throwaway remark, and it was just the most affirming thing I'd ever heard. He just kind of totally took it for granted that, yeah, you know, of course you can get to 100. Why, why wouldn't you? What, what's your problem? Why are you even doubting that? <laughs> I just loved his attitude. Then I met someone else from the club, and he said, you know that more people have climbed Everest than belong to our club. And actually was wrong. It's like six times more people have climbed Everest at that yeah. point than had yeah, belonged yeah, to this yeah. club, you know. And I thought... You know, blimey, that sounds like such a cool thing to do. Um, and I said to myself, oh, well, I'll, I'll set myself a 15-year target. You know, if I, I can't remember how my maths is terrible, but like if, you do, if I do five a year or three a year, whatever, it's going to take me 15, 20 years to do it. Um, and then I got the goal of running comrades. And I suddenly realized that in my training runs, I was running marathons just in training, like around the neighborhood, like running up to town from Croydon um, to um, the river, the Thames, and then coming home again. And I was thinking if you added only a few, like 5K onto that, that could be an official marathon. Mm -hmm. So um, the next year, after I had this revelation, when I entered Comrades again, I ran three marathons in 15 days because I didn't realize I was even doing that until yeah. I saw someone's T-shirt, and it was London, Paris, and Rotterdam. And then he said on the back of his T-shirt, he said three marathons in 15 days. And I was thinking hang on a minute, I've entered all of those races myself. I'm doing 15, um, sorry, um, three marathons in 15 days too. Um, so I then realized I was capable of running a marathon every weekend and I didn't actually um, suffer. I mean, I was fine. I didn't run in between, obviously, but my body was coping with it. And I suddenly thought, gee, you know, I don't actually have to wait that long to get this T-shirt. And I thought, gee, I'd rather just get it quicker. So I started entering races and then in 2015, I did 25 marathons. <gasps> Because I suddenly said, I'm going to release my Your Pace or Mind book on the day I do my 100th marathon. Oh, wow. So I had this target to reach. And they call it the nervous 90s. When you get to into the 90s, you have to have 
um, substitute races as well in case you have a terrible accident during mm -hmm. the race, you'll tear something, you don't finish, you don't get to the start line, whatever it is. So you have to have all these contingency marathons. That you, it's really complicated, especially when you've got a date that you can't miss, which was my launch of my book. Did you have to run uh, any contingency races? No, or? no, no, I didn't. Everything went completely smoothly, but I had extra spare marathons lined up, which I didn't run, mm. just in case. Um, and so then, yeah, I ran my hundredth, and um, it was a, it was called the fabulous flamingo extravaganza. So everyone turned up in pink. Men came around. Oh, it was so sweet with boas on feather boas. It was so sweet. Oh, honestly, I can't even tell you. It was such <laughs> fun. Where was that? Um, that was at Falmead Country Park near Deal. Okay, which is quite near Dover as well. And literally about sixty percent of the race were my friends. Um, someone from flew in from um, Italy to come and run with me. My friend Renee from Prague, another friend from America, um, and then lots of my local um, running friends. And we had fabulous snacks. I mean, the race is known for snacks anyway, but I added to the snacks. There was South African red wine as well, <laughs> and it was just a freezing cold day. And um, I, I was very greedy. I asked the former chairman of the Marathon Club, um, Roger Biggs, to give me my medal that you get um, if you do 100. And then I asked Travis Wilcox, the current chairman at that time, to give me my T-shirt. It was a very formal occasion. Um, and there were quite a few tears you can see in the photos. Um, and lots of little um, lovely fold-out flamingos were stuck into my cake because that's yeah. a tradition. You have to share cake with all the people at the event. So um, I had a lovely chocolate cake with these flamingos. Um, and I had that whole table, my whole dining room table was covered in presents and balloons and, um, books that people had given me. It was just oh. so, 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 um, you know, moving and special. And to also share those miles, cause you didn't have to do the full marathon. You could do as many laps of the course as you wanted. So people who don't run still came to support me, like my friend Sarah and her family, her husband's a runner. Um, and then her son was there, you know, trailing behind us going, is this your hundred marathon? you're crazy. <laughs> you know, things like that. There's just a little special moments the whole time. So it really was a very, very significant. Thing. And I mean, are you still running marathons? Have you stopped or are you going to continue? Um, no, I'm definitely going to continue running marathons. Um, but I always joke that I want to remain married. And I think um, marathon running really does take a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, and it does take up the entire day. And it's not really fair to my husband that 50% of his weekends you know, I'm, I'm away running because sure. my husband does run and, um, you know, he's done 27 marathons against his will and two comrades as well. Mm. Um, but he's, he's not like obsessed by it or but I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, but you know, he's not hugely enthusiastic about it. He just does it to keep fit. Yeah. Um, so we've got a goal now. Well, I've got a goal of running a hundred half marathons. So that's become my new distance. Okay. Um, it takes less time. Um, it's more manageable. I don't feel that it's quite as taxing on my body. Um, so, where are you there with it? Where, what number are you on? Uh, I haven't actually written, uh, you know, that's one of my to-do lists for this year is to write down, um, where, where my total is. It's around about 40, I think. Okay. Um, but it's always nice to have a goal. I think really, you know, I said to my husband, we've got to set our goals for how many halves we're doing this year. Um, and we've done some really fun ones like in Karlovy Bari, um, in the Czech Republic, um, together, so we turned it into a, a weekend away yeah. as well. I really like running in foreign countries. That's something because my other passion is um, travel. I was going to ask. Uh, yeah, I wanted to know how you pick your races. Oh and, yeah, <laughs> and like with the hundred marathon thing, did you find that you were having to pick races you wouldn't necessarily want to run, but just to kind of toss up the numbers? Um, or are you uh, a, a kind of a marathon tourist or an, a half marathon tourist and pick destinations and then run in them? I think that's really true. Um, initially, it was definitely destination-based, everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, virtually all my marathons were foreign ones um, because it's so hard to get into London. Um, but over time, yeah, especially in that year of 25 marathons, I had to do a lot of running around the lakes in Milton Keynes just to get my numbers up. And lots of runners confess to this. You know, we just go there. You can just see them just, like, grinding out the miles, like, trying to get our totals up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, most of the time, it's definitely destination-based Um the main thing, though, unfortunately, is I first have to look at the cutoff time. <laughs> so that's the first thing I look for, and it just yeah. drives me nuts of how many races hide the cutoff time, like in the non-existent small print. Yeah. So I first look for the cutoff time, and if I find out, yeah, I can actually manage it. Um, which is why I quite like challenge races because um, people are doing ultras. So you know, sometimes someone can do an ultra in the time I take to do a half marathon. <laughs> so then it's I've got loads of time. I don't have to worry about the time pressure because it is really stressful. Um, you know, trying to beat a cutoff. 
So then the, the so I'd say cattle first and then destination. Um, because I really have run in some amazing places. I mean, thanks to women's running, um, I've run a 10k in Russia. Um, I've run in Istanbul, running across two continents. Um, I've run in Fort Lauderdale, which is somewhere I wouldn't have gone to. Mm-hmm. I've run in Jamaica, another country I wouldn't have gone to um, if I hadn't been a runner. Um, and it's so interesting to see the different attitudes, like the Polar Nights. Um, I was going to ask you, but that's you've done that, done that very yes, recently, haven't you? Yes, yeah. that was in Tromso. That was a, a week or so ago. Um, and the interesting thing there is that I was cheering on the runners coming the other way because it's a switchback marathon, mm-hmm. and no one was cheering me back. I've virtually what? no one, and I've never encountered that. And then someone told me, who's Lithuanian, who was our guide when we went to see the Northern Lights, and he said, yeah, Norwegians are very, very private people, and they really don't do chit-chat. And so they even regarded me shouting, hey hey to them as chit-chat. So it was so interesting. Like, I love finding out new things about people's you know, just natural. Uh, but is natural that is psyche. that not then like kind of like your worst kind of race that no one likes to talk to you? Um, yeah, that. Well, I must say, I did come last to that as well. Um, yeah, so I didn't even have anyone to. There was no one. That the woman, my husband said, I think the woman who came second last was ten minutes or something or fifteen minutes ahead of me. That is my worst nightmare. But um, what coming last? Uh, no, no, no. You just run alone. Come last, yeah, no, 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 no. I always, I do actually aim to come last. If if someone's like potentially going to come last and I'm next to them I will let them go ahead of me so that I can come last yeah oh. I like to recognize that because I've come last in 25 marathons I'm quite proud of hurrah. yeah hurrah <laughs> but yeah my worst nightmare is people not having anyone to talk to but it was quite a short distance um, and it was so beautiful because it was you know when I write about it you'll see I'm going to talk about the silent night marathon because it was like running through a Christmas card they're just snow dusted trees you're just running it was had freshly snowed so the ground was really lovely to run on. Um, and it was just so peaceful. And it was just such a nice thing to do, um, being outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, in winter, <clears throat> it's not that pleasant to go outdoors. Um, and here it was not raining. It snowed at the start and it snowed at the finish. <coughs> and it was just an absolutely magical mm. place to run. But I did run in silence, you know, the whole time, except for the little few cheers. But mind you, the, the spectators, they were not that many, but the ones that were there were crazy enthusiastic. <coughs> so it's just your so, fellow runners and things. Yeah, yeah. No, it was the fellow runners didn't want to have any chat, any chat at all. <laughs> so I forced my husband to cross over this big snowbank in the middle of the, the road and come and give me a high five. That's <laughs> why I have to have some kind of human interaction during this run. No, but it was really... Very memorable. So, do you have um, do you have a bucket list going forward of absolute specific locations that you want to run in, or have you done it all now? Have you done the locations that you want to run in? Um, you know, there's I have got the um, magazine of distance running from the AIMS, um, which is the Association of International Marathons and Distance Races. Mm. I picked one up in Tromso, and that used to be honestly, I used to keep that thing and just like page just dream I, I i love i just I was looking at it this morning and i was just like oh that's such a lovely that looks divine and then it's quite interesting because some countries now where i really thought i was going to do the marathon for example hamburg i was definitely going to do it and then we've been to hamburg so i'm not going to do the hamburg marathon anymore um so i haven't actually done my wish list um for this year yet but i think again it's very important to set your goals early in the year actually i just find otherwise time just runs away um and you don't um you know achieve things um, but there's quite a few marathons now. I mean, it's really interesting. Um, you know, any country now, self-respecting country, has its own marathon, um, at least one. Um, so all the stans as well, like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan mm. and, and countries like that, I haven't actually been to. And I'm very, very keen um, to go to that region. So, you know, I'm looking for more unusual um, destinations and races. Because I've been to almost 100 countries now. Um, so I'm always looking to try and get to 100. That's my other goal now is I've got a new book coming out um, called Travel Seekness. And that's written with, with my husband, who was a very reluctant co-author, but now has become the most enthusiastic editor. In fact, I wish he'd um, leave me alone and not try and make it even better all the time. <laughs> on version 12. Um, and um, in that book, um, I want that book to be published when I've run, no, sorry, when I've done a hundred countries. Mm. Um, so it's a wonderful thing to twin two passions like that. Um, because you really do get double value for money. Actually, yeah, I got an email, um, was it last week, I think, about, um, the chance of running a marathon in North Korea. Mm. 
I went to North, North Korea last year. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah, how was that? Um, I didn't run the marathon, although mm. every all our tour guides kept saying, you've got to come back in April and run the marathon with us. Um, North Korea, um, I had to go on my own because my husband works at the foreign office, and so mm. you know that their advice is not to travel there. Um, it was an absolutely amazing experience. I, I loved every second of it. Um, mainly because we had a guide who was just so friendly and lovely and I just just adored her. I mean, I cried my eyes out when I left that country and someone <laughs> said, I think you must be the only person who's ever cried leaving North Korea. <laughs> um, it's just such a strange and interesting place. Um, the main thing is that it struck me was just the lack of traffic. It is mm. so weird to be in a place where there's no p- private car ownership. Yeah. Um, so that was extremely um, strange. The other thing is, um, you know, minding what you say all the time um, because you don't want to get your guides into trouble and you don't know who's listening or whether your room is bugged and things like that. I was very fortunate that I didn't do a lot of research into the student who died after he'd gone to North Korea, um, Otto Wombier, because I didn't realize he stayed in the hotel that we stayed in. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't really know too much about that story. I think I would have been a lot more scared when I was there if I'd known, um, you know, what in a bad way he was um, before we went into a coma um, for a year. Um, it's very strange because they have things like microbreweries and you go for a, you know, quite a jolly night out um, in Pyongyang. Um, and yet, um, you know, they don't want you in any way associating with the local people. Um, so you're not allowed to speak to anyone. Um, and there was such so many moments. We had one day where, well, every day that got us up at six. So you had a timetable and you had to stick to it rigidly and there was no deviation at all from the timetable. So you got up every day at six. We were just told you will get a wake up call at six. You will be at breakfast at 6.30. You will be at the bus at seven. But I loved it in the end because we did literally 50% more stuff than I would have done if I was there independently, which is the way I usually travel. Um, and um, that day, we did amazing things like go to the mass games and also go to the mass dance. And the mass dance is people in traditional costume, which are the most beautiful dresses you have ever seen. They are like kimonos. They are so beautiful. I just wanted one so badly, but um, I'm too big to fit into them. Um, and they dance in these huge circles in these public squares. Um, and it is, I mean, I think I took 400 photos. It, it was just so incredible. And then I actually was invited to join in and I went to dance wow. with the locals. And I, it was just such a surreal moment. And I felt so terrible because there I was in my sort of, you know, traveler um, track pants and my puffer jacket. And I'm dancing among these women who look like butterflies. Um, so that was an incredible experience. And then the mass games. It was very touch and go whether they were still going to have them. They, our guides didn't seem to know if they were on or not, but it's a hundred thousand people performing for literally maybe five thousand spectators, and it's all of that stuff where they they hold up books which change color, and that's how the, the it's so like the a digital change. that yeah. picture change thing, yeah. And um, you just didn't know where to look. I mean, I missed loads of it because people said, did you see the ice skaters? I'll go, ice skaters? Yeah, there were ice skaters. I didn't see that bit. Then I said, did you see the children doing like back bends? They're just all children just suddenly bent over backwards and just did a bridge like in unison, just in a split second. It was so exciting. My guide kept nudging me. She was sitting next to me like, eating popcorn. She kept saying, take some photos, Lisa, take some photos. And I said, I can't. I mean, what am I going to take a photo of? I've just got to enjoy this. I've got to absorb the the majesty of this and the precision and the excitement and the music and the colours and all the crazy things they did um, and just loads of things like people just running at you with flags it, it was just absolutely incredible wow. and then I phoned my husband at great expense that evening I was in such a high after this day of oh we went to the North Korean circus as well which was incredible with all these trapeze artists with no safety lines <laughs> and I thought I don't care how much it's going to cost and it was something like seven euros a minute and I just phoned him and I knew the phone was tapped and everything but I just said I just got to tell you and I just thought I'm just going to be genuine and just go how much I am loving this I am loving every second of it it's the most amazing thing I've ever done I just had the most beautiful day probably one of the most beautiful days of my whole life um, and he just said, I'm glad you're having a good time. And he, he felt really sad, you know, that he couldn't be there. But he joined me in South Korea afterwards. So um, if anyone's thinking of going, you know, I really do recommend you just go on a tour. It's all done for you. All your meals are part of the price. Um, there's no language barrier because you've got guides with you speaking English all the time. Um, and, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a sadness about that country. And why I was crying so much when I left was that our guide, I would never see her again. I would have no way of contacting her. And I just think... 
to have people like that who are so special and, and really, really lovely um, people cut off from the world yeah. um, is such a sad thing. And, um, you know, I mean, she, she was just so delightful. Um, it, I mean, she had been almost kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria. So she, she shared so much of her life, mm-hmm. you know, with us. And I just thought, wow, you know, how much fun would it be to host her in London and, and, and say, you know, come over and, and I'll show you my country. Um, so that was very sad that they live under um, a very difficult um, regime. And they are so poor because the other thing that really struck me was in the countryside, there's no mechanisation at all. So apparently something like 40% of the crops rot in the fields because they don't have the tractors or the lorries to, to take mm. the harvested it's crops. It's done by hand. Absolutely. So our guide had spent her Sunday, they work six days a week there, but on her Sunday, um, which is the only day of rest, she had gone to the farm and had been harvesting rice by hand with a scythe. And she loved it. She said it was really enjoyable. She liked being out in the countryside. But, I mean, that is how poor that country is. Mm. Um, and that's sad to think people live like that and... Um, you know, sanctions and everything don't help either. Mm. But, um, yeah, I really recommend it. <laughs> so, and I think I probably know the answer to this question, but do you think um, that it's fundamental for runners to have a race in mind? Do you think that everyone should race? Do you think that everyone should have a goal in mind, whether that's a location or a distance? Do you know, I, I would never prescribe anything to anyone because I've broken every rule in the book. You know, I've run marathons with five... I've done three 5Ks to run a marathon. That's been my sum total of my training. I talk all the time and everyone says, you know, you shouldn't talk while you run, etc., etc. Um, I would never prescribe to people. I just think you have to find your own path and your own joy. Like, I'm told, oh, no, chocolate isn't a good thing to eat during running because your body can't absorb it. Well, I always have a dairy milk at 30 kilometers and I share it among people and everyone's always very happy to eat it. And that's a huge psychological boost for me. I've done, I've played by the rules, you know, and run with gels and I brought them all home again. I just don't like them. They don't cheer me up. They taste disgusting. Although I have found a few now that are quite nice. Um, one oh, was really nice, salted caramel. That was very tasty. Um, <laughs> but um, I really think, um, you know, you don't have to race to enjoy running at all. I just think people are scared of racing. And if you're scared of racing, you shouldn't be scared. Because the word race is really a misnomer. It's actually, yeah. you should think of it as an event. Yeah. Like, as a big meeting of like-minded people. That's how, how you should feel. I mean, for me, definitely having races to attend has been the highlight of my running career. I mean, honestly, I can't think of any race I've ever done that I've regretted. Um, coming last, again, is nothing to be feared. People are really encouraging when you're last. Um, they always give you a huge cheer. You often get a second goodie back because <laughs> there's some left over. <laughs> Honestly, there's nothing to fear about that. Um, but I think it's the goal setting that's very important. And it doesn't work for everyone. I'm sure there's people who say, I don't want to do that. And then that's fine. You must do. You must make running what you want it to be. And that's I think, has been my message as well, is um, running can seem so daunting sometimes just because there's so many rules and don't do this and do do that. I was told by some expert when I first started running, oh, um, don't ever do more than one marathon a year. You know, that's really bad for you. And I was also told you only have one good marathon in you. One. And I thought, well, well, I've already had one good one. Is that it? Is that my allocation for my lifetime? It's absolutely complete nonsense. And I think, you know, if you ask two experts, you'll get three opinions. So I just think... I mean, obviously, there's very wise people out there. There's some very good advice. But sometimes you just have to do what you want to do um, and not worry too much about what other people think of you or what they've told you to do. You you just do it as long as you're doing it. I mean, that's the main thing. And I know if I followed all the rules, I wouldn't be doing it now because I'd be feeling I have to get faster. I wouldn't enjoy it. And no one likes doing stuff they don't like doing. Mm. So I wouldn't be running now if if I didn't make my own rules. So, Do you think think your day job influences your philosophy with running do you think that hypnotherapy has absolutely hugely i mean i had to use hypnotherapy to do my first comrades because when i told someone i was running with uh who shall remain nameless um he asked me what i was training for and i said well believe it or not comrades and he just snorted when he heard that and i came home and i cried for three hours um, because i felt so embarrassed and i just thought yeah you know this is a typical lisa jackson thing uh you know Lots of big jaws, my dad would say. Um, lots of talking the talk and not walking the walk. And actually, you're probably not going to finish comrades. And now you've embarrassed yourself in front of everyone you know by saying you're trying to do it. And I wish I'd kept quiet about it. And I also just lost all confidence in myself. And I didn't run for about two or three weeks after that. I just stopped training. I was just like, yeah, that guy's right. Mm. Uh, I am a useless runner. 
Um, I'm the slowest person in my running club. I've got no chance of, of achieving this, and I don't even know why I'm even trying. Um, and then after about three weeks, I mean, I was obviously getting quite desperate that if I didn't start training again, I'd, and I already booked the flights and everything, that I wasn't going to do it. And all of a sudden, I just reminded myself one day, I said, Lisa, you're a hypnotherapist. This is the kind of thing you do work with people all the time. Like, why aren't you applying your knowledge to yourself? So I went online and I, I started looking at footage of people who were going to finish in the time I was aiming for, which was 11 hours 45. Mm. And my sister had said to me, you will be crawling across that finish line because she'd done it twice herself. And she said, Lisa, it's really tough. And I said, well, I'm going to cross the finish line with my arms in the air. And she said, no, you won't. You'll be dragging your knuckles on the ground. I promise you, it's really tough, especially for someone like you. And I started looking at this footage and there were people in their 50s, 60s and 70s finishing with their arms in the air. And all of a sudden I thought, Lisa, honestly, what is your excuse? Like you are a fit young person. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not injured right now. Um, you haven't got a disability, you know, look at the people who finish these things with, you know, only one leg or whatever it is. And then I started using self-hypnosis and every night before I went to sleep, I would just imagine myself running into that stadium, smelling that crushed grass, hearing people hammering on the hoardings to encourage me and finishing with my arms in the air. And so when I actually finished, it was this weird sensation because I felt like I'd been there before. So it's deja vu. Yeah, it was total yeah. deja vu, except the bit that I hadn't put in, which was kind of weird, was getting the poster from my husband, which showed I could run across the finish line mm. with my mother in my arms. Yeah. Um, but it was really crucial to me, um, you know, finishing, because I had to build my self-belief back up. And actually, that person did me a favor because at halfway... I was wearing three pairs of socks. Like I put flight socks on and then two other pairs of socks. And I'd never even run ever with more than one pair of socks. So I got blisters between my toes. This is how, how absolutely Aye. ridiculous it was. This is when you don't break a rule. I My toes were squashed together. So I had blisters between my toes from the first kilometer. So I was in pain in my feet. I wasn't talking to anyone because my dad had said, you can't talk. So for six hours I ran in silence. And I was just thinking, I'm so bored. I'm so much in pain, and this race is completely overrated. I don't even know why I even wanted to bother with this thing. And I nearly pulled out, and then I thought, I'm not going to give that person the satisfaction of saying, told you so. I knew that you wouldn't even get to halfway, and there you go, pull yourself out of the race. And I just thought, I'm not giving him that satisfaction. So I persevered, and I actually then bumped into this woman who I wasn't going to talk to. I said to her, I'm not even going to talk to you. I just want to know what country you're from because I can see you from a foreign country because you have a special blue um, number if you're foreign. Yeah. And she said, Canada. And I was like, oh, you won't believe it. The person who should be here with me, my friend Bridget, she can't make it, but she's from Canada too. And well, from then on, we just had this conversation that lasted for the next six hours um, sharing how we trained and our lives. And to this day, I mean, she's really, really a good friend of mine now. Um, and that got me to the finish. And I actually finished um, within two minutes of my target time. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's I was so well-paced. <laughs> yeah. And I was quite proud of myself because another woman that I met there was a friend of my friend from Canada. Um, she'd been trained by the official comrades coach um, and hadn't finished. And, um, and he had run his own race, like an hour and a half off his predicted target time and I was thinking you're the expert and I got to think two minutes of my own self-predicted self-coached time mm -hmm. and I was really I was super proud of that I just thought wow you know again I've broken the rules but um I got there in the end yeah I think I think that um that visualization thing and also I mean these days with the internet you don't even have to kind of use the power of visualization you just use the power of google because I was told this too to just to look up images of people finishing the London Marathon because I'm going to be doing it in April. Oh, how exciting! I know I am incredibly excited, but oh, I wasn't wow. excited until I was just I was just terrified <laughs> until I googled images of people crossing the finish line, yeah. just normal people, yeah, yeah, yeah. not athletes. Yeah, and you just think, not not rudely, but you know, if they can do it, I can do it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of my favourite things to do is just watch marathon footage on, online. Oh, don't. It just makes me cry. It does. No, and this is what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I can get so teared up, especially when there's a good soundtrack to it. Oh, and I yeah. just think, I'm one of those people. Mm. Like, I've done this. I'm not just a spectator because I'm a great spectator. I've, I've marshaled loads of times in London and I just go along and watch it. And I often hang around for the people who are finishing in eight hours and just come and walk with them on that final, you know, from mile 25 to 26. Like, I really love doing that. That's how I met Fauja Singh because he was coming through oh, one wow. year. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I love spectating. But I, the best thing is just getting over that barrier and get onto that road yourself and think, oh, I'm one of these people. And I still have to pinch myself. Every time at a start line, I always go, 
look at this. It's all the people ringing their bells or clapping, whatever. Mm. You're not one of those people. You say you're actually on the other side of the barriers. And it is it is a goosebump moment. And keep on doing that because, honestly, yeah, when I've ever had low points in my training and stuff, I just used to go and look at those films and just go, this is what you're part of. And it's an amazing, you know, it's a mass mobilization of positivity that you're going to be part of. Um, and London, I mean, it is just mind-blowing. I mean, I've, I've talked to people, you know, who have been to thousands of, literally thousands of marathons. And, and I go, what's your favorite? And they go, London. You yeah. know, so they know what they're talking about. Um, and I just love it because I think, you know, the whole way that they've done it to include people, mm. to say fancy dress runners welcome. I mean, that is, you know, such a huge part of it. And the charity runners, like it's so moving to run behind people who are raising money for, you know, lost loved ones. Um, and then the way that the whole city supports, I mean, no one gets bored of watching this, this race. Every year there's more people. I love it. And I feel like, I, I mean, I have history. I'm from London. My mum has run the London Marathon Whoa. in 1984. She gave me her medal a couple of oh, weeks ago. Oh, so she did the same thing my dad yeah, did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. The same thing. Um, and my, my dad entered the first year that the marathon was on in 81 and never got to do it because he was injured. No. So I feel I have unfinished oh, business. Absolutely. You've got family on it. Yeah, day. absolutely. And I'm, I'm from South East London, so they're kind of the Greenwich bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. I'm really looking forward to doing that. So looking forward oh, to doing it. Oh, that would be so special. Yeah. For me as well, you know, as a foreigner, having adopted London as my hometown, like just running along, say, for example, the embankment and going, I own this. Because yeah. I trained there. Like I used to work in magazines up in town. So I used to train along the embankment. And you just feel like, these are my sites and, yeah. and also running alongside people from foreign countries and giving them a history lesson, you know, this is Petra's <laughs> Needle and there's Big Ben and you come around this corner, you're going to see Birdcage Walk, um, is, is such fun. Um, and yeah, no, you're going to have an, it is really a carnival. I, I just love it. And now, I mean, the crowds are just unbelievable. When I first did it, there were long sections, especially in Docklands where there were no crowds at all. That was mm. quite lonely. Jeepers, now, when I've gone to spectate, like, you have to, like, elbow, you know, your way in. Yeah. Um, it's just going crazy, and I, I just love it. Like, it just gets better every year, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. So, um, just to sort of slightly wrap up mm. a little bit, what's the, what's your next race? Tell us what the next race is that you're going to do. Do you know, this is what, I, it's still January. <laughs> Someone asked me this the other day. Mm. Um, and I haven't, um, you know, put anything in the diary yet. Um, because I'm still trying to plan all my travels for this year. That's very important. I have to get that done. That's the priority. First. That's priority because I have to get to 100 countries. Um, so once that's in the diary, my husband and I are negotiating. Obviously, he has to consult colleagues and everything as well. Uh, once those things are in the diary, then because I'm going to Odessa this year, I'm so excited. Oh, wow. um, just because I like the name. People ask me why I'm going there. Because I, there's a book called The Odessa File. I haven't even read it yet. That's true. I've in my, my um, study. Um, and I just like to just choose like random things and go, I want to go to Odessa. I want to go to Moldova. I want to go to Transnistria, which is a country, but not a country. Um, I want to go to Chernobyl. So I'm putting, I put together, I was quite proud of myself. I put together a whole a travel itinerary for that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's so funny because still when I travel, people always ask me if I'm going to run there. Like every single time they go, is it for like work or pleasure? Like always yeah. ask me, will you be running there? And it's like, I do sometimes go on holiday without doing a race, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've got a few ideas. Like, I think I do want to run in one of the stands um, this year. Hopefully that will come off. Um, but it's such fun shopping for marathons. Honestly, now I've got the magazine. I've already read it about four times now. <laughs> already just, like, dreaming about the different ones. There's always something exciting um, to choose from. So, um, yeah, then I'll be putting them in the diary. Because if they're in the diary, they happen. If they're not in the diary, they don't. Um, that's you know, but they they will be strictly half marathon and less. Oh uh, no no no! I will do some marathons this year. I do yeah. I do want to do a few, mm. um, but not too many. Um, you know, maybe one or two. Yeah. Um, because um, as I said, you know, I've got other other things I want to do in my life, like spend time with my husband. Yeah. Doesn't she make you feel like we can all run one hundred and eight marathons? What a wonderful, inspirational woman and what an incredible runner. Make sure you check back in the magazine and at womensrunning.co.uk to follow her latest adventures and make sure you listen to your pace or mine on your next long run. I promise you, you will be inspired. Do let me know who you'd like to listen to on a future pod. We want to keep you entertained every step of the way. At Women's Running, we want to inspire you to run. 
whether you've never run before or you're training for your fifth ultramarathon. We think that women who run need a space for themselves and we want to be that. Every month we talk all things running and all things women. From training plans for specific distances to interviews with incredible runners, ideas on how to improve your running and remain injury free, to delicious recipes to fuel your running and tons of advice on women's health. The easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk or you could get it delivered direct to your door or to your inbox every month by subscribing. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet through your app store. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Do join us. We would love to have you with us. Happy running. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 